Welcome everyone to Black Coffee and Theology. Hello everyone, welcome back. I am so happy to be with you all for this particular episode. So I'm going to get right into it. I got the pleasure of speaking to my friend, Dr. Kate Hanch, about her new book, uh, Storied Witness, The Theology of Black Women Preachers in 19th Century America. And Dr. Hanch is the Associate Pastor of Youth and Families at First St. Charles United Methodist Church in Missouri. And she has the degrees, that's one, but two, she is a wonderful person. And I first got acquainted with her through the internet, through the streets of social media, and then had the opportunity to get to know her a bit better when she invited me to uh, speak to her congregation through a study in Dr. James Cone's work, The Cross and the Lynching Tree, and really enjoyed our time together there. And ever since then, we've collaborated on something else. uh, And I just so enjoy talking to her. And so with that said, sit back and relax and enjoy this episode. All right, everyone, welcome back to the podcast. And I am excited because I have Dr. Kate Hanch. Welcome. Thank you so much, Robert. Thank you for inviting me on. I'm very grateful. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. Uh, We're going to talk about your new book. um, And we'll get to that in a second. Uh, I'm excited about that. And I don't say that when I'm not excited about the book party people. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, um, I ask every guest to say something about who you are and how you show up in the world, like what is important to you and how people receive you as a way of introduction. <laughs> This is probably the hardest question of all you sent me. (laughs) Thank you. It allowed me to do some self-reflection because, um, so if you do Enneagram work and I know people have different feelings about that, but I am, um, an Enneagram three, which means sometimes it can be hard to access those feelings and motivations and the root of such motivations. Uh, but what I hope, this is what I hope about how I show up in the world. I hope I um, can show up as a present family member. Um, I have some really cute nieces and they're adorable. I hope I can show up as somebody who is curious about their friends. Um, I always joke that like, I'm a nerd and I just own it. And Uh, you know, and when you're in high school or whatever, people tend to like, you tend to be embarrassed about it, but I love watching people being nerds in their own context. So I hope I can be curious about that. And I hope that I am somebody who is not the same person from year to year. And hopefully that's a better person, but, uh, I'll let 
I'll let folks who know me decide. So that's kind of how I want to show up in the world. Mm -hmm. um, but this was a hard question that has taken a lot of discernment. <laughs> this is going to be the hardest question. So, yeah. It's only going to get easier from here. I, <laughs> I love that. And the reason why I like asking that is because typically, you know, we are used to meeting people with uh, what they do for a living uh, or their titles. And I like asking people, hey, how do you show up or how do you see yourself? And the responses have been so wide ranging that I, surprising responses, because that I would not have said what you just said. I'm like, wow, yeah. okay. I like hearing how people want to present or how they think they are presenting in the world. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. I, and I think that's a good question. That's something I've struggled with in other work of how are we connecting with people in this capitalist society without mm. talking about our, our, how we make money. Yeah. Um, and, and for ministry and ministers, that's, you know, I've, I'm a pastor, but for a long time, I was working all sorts of odd jobs that were not connected to ministry and having a real struggle with identity. And I think that's an important question. So thank you for asking that. Yeah, no problem. So on the table, we have your book, Storied Witness, The Theology of Black Women Preachers in 19th Century America. And mm, I got, I've got questions on questions on questions. And something about the season in general that I've tried to do is uh, thinking about the question, who is God to us now, and how we interface with that question, and really centering uh, black voices, people of color, and theologians of color, and in, in, in thinking about who is God to us. And so I wanted to have you on one because I enjoy you as a person, and then two, I I feel like in this book you go through uh, following uh, different black women, and we'll we'll talk about that and their role in theology and the world and you weave this beautiful storyline between these women and you insert some of your own theological musings and reflections you kind of offer them softly to make that uh web connect and I was like I'm indebted to black women and how I think about God so I want to open your book up <laughs> <laughs> thank you yes it's been uh a real gift to learn about Elaw and foot and truth. And I am indebted to uh, Black women womanist scholars and Black feminist scholars like Kimberly Blockett and Joy Bostick and Margaret Washington and Mitzi Smith, who have already done a lot of that work in uh, helping uh, tell the stories of these women. I love it. I want to read something and I'll say this. So you mainly cover, but you, you reference other ones, but Julia foot, which you talked about Zilpha, Ela, and Sojourner Truth. And it's, it's beautiful how you cover each one, but I want to read this quote from your book to set our time 
It's uh, on page six of my copy. <laughs> Black women have always been producing theology, even if not seen as legitimate by the academy. As Jocelyn Moody articulates, Black women unquestionably produce theology. Their life stories not only investigate Black women's interior, interior spiritual lives and the central the centrality of Christianity, but each woman also theorizes on who and how God is. And thinking about that, I, I kind of want to ask what made you and what motivated you to write the book and why did you pick these three women, especially to kind of center um, your work around? So the book's origins uh, began uh, during my dissertation time and my mm -hmm. work at Garrett Evangelical. And my question I brought and then morphed and then as with PhD programs keep, continues to morph until the today, like <laughs> early, like you're never, you're never finished with your dissertation. Uh, but what does humility look like and what does humility look like for peoples like black women who have been humiliated mm. and i cannot and I, I say that in the book but i i could not attend to humility without looking at humiliation and when i was looking at the store um i i began with medieval mysticism but it wasn't while there are some justice implications, they weren't as material as I would have, I wanted, I needed. And they, it didn't, like, I love me some Julian of Norwich. And yeah. also, uh, it felt very distant to the experience of God, of God who um, hears the cries. Although Julian, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, so I, um, I took a class with Dr. Larry Murphy, a black, um, historian, and he gave me a copy of Margaret Washington's uh, mm. biography on Sojourner Truth, which everybody should read. I mean, I cite it extensively. Um, but she describes truth as an African Dutch mystic. Yeah. And I love it. Yeah. And, and then in my research, I encountered Joy Bostick's book, which was about African, 19th century African-American female mysticism. Mm. And she mentions truth and she mentions Jarena Lee and, um, and, and talks about the ways mysticism has been co-opted by whiteness uh, so, so it was those two books that prompted me to look deeply uh, and the experiences with Dr. Murphy that prompted me to look deeply into 19th century black women. Um, and really it was Margaret Washington's book on Sojourner Truth that like compelled, compelled me to write, uh, with Zulfi Ela, uh, Dr. Murphy, again, recommended, uh, William Andrews. This is the professor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, the, yeah. The professor, Dr. Yeah. Murphy um, recommended William Andrews, Sisters of the Spirit, which is 
a collection of Zulfi Ilah, Jarena Lee, and Rebecca Cox Jackson. Oh, don't don't call me on the third one. <laughs> um, it's okay. And and the way he um, William Andrews in his as an editor would pull out theological insights, and he's a historian. And I just found it so compelling that the women are interpreting the Bible differently than white, their white counterparts. And Mitzi Smith has talked about it some. She has an article about um, Zilpha Elah and the Pauline uh, narratives or not narratives, Pauline discourse. Yeah. Uh, and I just, it, fe it felt so compelling. And yet I, you know, I live and work in a majority of white spaces Yeah. and we don't, and white spaces, we don't learn about that. And True. I, I saw an opportunity to share the stories to my to a white community because it's uh, our history too, in a way. And I don't mean it like, yeah. it's the history that we don't talk about, right? Yeah. It's the history that we have covered up because we are embarrassed by it and we're ashamed by it, but it's the history we need to tell to truly follow Jesus. And uh, I, I, so I wrote this and I write about Elah and truth and foot uh, because they helped me learn to follow Jesus in a faithful way. I love that. I want to highlight something you, you said, if you have more thoughts on the co-opting of, of mysticism um, and, and, and a lot of times when people speak of mysticism, uh, people of the African diaspora are not mentioned. <laughs> um, and we, yeah. um, and our spirituality is typically mocked. Um, and uh, so, mm -hmm. yeah, I want you to say more about that whitewashing, co-opting piece, if you have any other just thoughts in your, your brain. Yeah, I mean, uh, there have been some womanist, Black and womanist scholars who have looked at it. Uh, Jocelyn Moody would be one, for instance. Mm. Uh, when I have seen, so I went to a mysticism, Christian mysticism conference at mm. Boston College, I think it was in 2019. And I was writing on Julian of Norwich at the time. And there was one section for African diasporic religions or, and, and peoples one section <laughs> and we're all like fitting into that one section <laughs> and yeah and uh there was like two or three papers on it and it's ridiculous it's stupid <laughs> um and mysticism is so i i take the view that all christians should be mystics uh because say more <laughs> okay, so I am getting the definition. Well, so I'm getting the definition from two places, right? So Margaret Washington and her work um, of, of identifying Sojourner Truth as an African Dutch mystic. 
And then I'm getting a definition from Bernard McGinn, who studies white medieval mysticism, mm -hmm. um, who is saying, who says in his definition, mysticism is about the anticipation of and the expectation of, and I'm paraphrasing, mm -hmm. a direct encounter with the divine. And if that's not what Elah, Foot, Truth, Lee, yeah. more are doing. And if that's not like the goal of, or one of the goals of Christian life, like mysticism is at the heart of what it means to follow the triune God. Mm -hmm. I love that. I, uh, that could be a whole conversation. No, I love, I love that in lifting that up and then how you wove that into your storytelling. I, I love that. And it, it I think part of that is um, dismantling uh, toxic thoughts on Black spirituality, and then what is the aim of the Christian life, right? Um, yeah. So I, I love that you're lifting that up. Um, and that leads me to a question about, did you have apprehension writing on Black women from your social location, because you're not Black. Uh, everybody cannot <laughs> <No>. see you <laughs> right now. You're not Black. And then I will, I will say this funny slash haunting thing is earlier uh, this year, a, a, a white theologian woman wrote a work uh, co-opting yes. a lot of Black thought. Yes. Um, and you would have thought, because of the way the book looked you would have thought that it was a black womanist theologian only it came to find out that it's like and you uh, got a lot of money to write this and yeah. so did you have apprehension when you're like formulating this proposing it <laughs> did you what oh, were your thoughts well yeah i mean and that is not an isolated incident like you're right um, and, she, and she got a lot of money to write the devil. I know, I know. <laughs> a I, lot. I, um, I, I did get a scholarship from the Baptists. Uh, yeah. It wasn't to, it was for the dissertation and not, I didn't yeah, get yeah. any money for the book. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's a historical phenomenon since for hundreds and hundreds of years, right? So of course I had apprehension. Uh, I still have apprehension. Uh, it is with a great respect and fear and trembling and not wanting to cause harm mm. to people who have historically been harmed. And that is why the goal of this book is to get people to go to Elah, go to Truth, go to Lee, read the stories themselves, mm. get people to go to the secondary sources, um, to Kimberly Blockett, to Mar uh, Mar Margaret Washington, to Joy Bostic, to Jocelyn Moody. Uh, so yeah, I've I so I was thinking about your question in relation to Sojourner Truth. Uh, she did not write. Uh, I refuse to say that she was illiterate because there's multiple forms of literacy, right? Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> and and. I've, as somebody who has been listening to the Bible for like the last few years, instead of reading it as primary devotional time, I have much a greater respect for Sojourner Truth's mind. I mean, she's brilliant. Like she'd school all of us. Uh, but I was thinking about the white women who wrote about her. 
and wrote with her. And I say that a little bit in the, in the book. Uh, so you have Harriet Beecher Stowe and, ugh, um, yeah. but she writes this, this article for the Atlantic called the Libyan Sybil mm. about Sojourner Truth. And it's very patronizing, uh, very um, hurtful. Yeah. And Sojourner Truth, as Margaret Washington points out, like, doesn't like her. <laughs> yeah. um, and then you have Olive Gilbert, who also has privilege, also doesn't quite get Sojourner Truth. Uh, and and yet writes her first 1850 rendition of her autobiography. And you see all of Gilbert's voice. And she obviously is white. Um, and there's also this using of her privilege to... Uh, share truth's story in the world. I realize as a white woman writing about black women, there is always going to be a sense of not doing them justice. And I also know I, I am thinking, um, I also know that I want people to know about their stories and I want my, the white people I work with and minister to, to know their stories and to see them as models of theolo theological reflection, as models of Christianity, as models of, I work in a Methodist institution, so they're all Methodists, so this is their history and we have forgotten about it. Yeah, I love that. And I I felt that that fear and trembling as you know, it's almost on every page. I could almost feel you're like, I am writing, but I uh there's a reverence there. I think if I could say anything, the way that I've engaged with your work and the way that you you told their stories is I felt like there was a reverence that is typically not there i can't be the ultimate judge but there's typically not there when um quote-unquote white allies um engage with the work with us right i did feel from the outset of the book you explained your social location you explained what your aim was and you know time will tell that story but i i i felt it that through um you try to let their lives speak for themselves and try to offer up thoughts that could um, not diminish or talk over, but just engage alongside. And that is um, that takes humility, right, to do. It's like, you might've had more thoughts, but I felt like yeah. you weren't there to be the loudest person in the room. And you, you at the risk of oversighting, you're like, I'm just gonna keep <laughs> more, more, more. I'm a <laughs> here's yeah. another here's another citation, and I could have said this, but like here's her in her own words. <laughs> I just yeah. I love that here are multiple people's words, and so in that way, I felt you were um, you try to be a responsible container for these things to the best of your ability and with your privilege, and that that is the goal. Not both in the, not just in theology, but in activism 
and mm-hmm. trying to reimagine and recreate a, a way forward. So I felt that. Well, I'm I'm still learning. And I think what's been helpful for me, and I'm um, a white scholar, Karen Teal at the University of San Diego. She wrote Racism in the Image of God. Um, and I actually, I found her in um, her dissertation first, but uh, she engages womanist theology. And she's basically like, she says, I'm not a womanist, but I learned from womanism. And I want yeah. to to convey what I've learned, uh, not to talk over people. Uh, mm. She also, she's a works in white Catholic spaces. So, um, so, so I've learned a lot from her how to write and, um, but it's also a work in progress, right? Yeah, no, I felt that. Um, so let's take a brief look at these three women. Yeah. Um, I, you know, Ela uh, foot in truth, and I wasn't aware of, of, of stuff, especially with Ela. It was the person I was the most unfamiliar with. Mm-hmm. But I thought what what was interesting was how you lifted up how the three women engaged with scripture, yeah, and um, and how they their exegesis and how they were molding scripture around their lives, how they were engaging with it. And so that was fascinating to me just to see the way each person engaged with scripture and who their primary audience was as they were doing theology. So Mm -hmm. I'm curious of thoughts on that. I I found like, especially Eli's chapter, um, point blank, she, you know, she had a quote unquote unbelieving husband Yeah, and she just took that right on. Like, (laughs) hey he's not even christian so i'm not even worried about that (laughs) you know so she doesn't like here's a scripture i know y'all go hit me with Uh, it doesn't even matter to me (laughs) both do that like they you know foot directly addresses it and ah ah it's so good um and Elah is so so what's really exciting about Elah scholarship is like Kimberly Kimberly Blackett, and I know I'm citing a lot of names. I'll no, give you a good. list of re- resources. <laughs> but she wrote the first edited volume of um Elah's work, and she actually went to England. She went to the places where Elah preached. And mm. she um what what Blackett says is that the Methodist notes, you know, because they all keep needing notes or whatever, um, says a black woman came and preached. It didn't name Elon. Uh, oh. Yeah. So, um, so there's just so much to uncover. And Black is working on a book uh, on the, on Elon that flushes it out further. But what I love about Ela is the way she brings together story and scripture and her own story and and the scriptures. So when she speaks to the enslavers, and again, William Andrews brought this to my attention. She tells them all the things they ever did, which is a citation of John four, which um, and and the woman at the well, which there has been some problematic interpretations of the woman in the well in John four. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, and so it's interesting because. Uh, Ela doesn't focus on the woman at the well's character. She focuses on herself as a Christic figure, uh, telling them their sins. <laughs> and I love it. And, and what was really exciting for me 
was at the last minute, I decided to do a Bible uh, index, Bible scripture index. And I did not include everything I should have <laughs> because I was doing it last minute. And, oh, I it. But I was amazed to see the breadth of scripture. So there's Nehemiah, there's Zechariah, mm-hmm. there's all four gospels, there's Paul, there's um, Psalms. I mean, you got, they know their scripture better than like any of us. And I, I love it. I love it. So Journal Troops knows her scripture. So when she preaches her, our Iowa woman sermon, she speaks, uh, she reinterprets Eve in a whole new way. So Eve is not, uh, Eve may be the cause of the sin, but she also turned the world upside down. And I loved that part. Uh, uh, you you citing that part of yeah. your sermon. I was like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and so Eve becomes this figure that's not um, to necessarily be blamed for everything, nor. Um, yeah. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. I, I thought it was. Uh, fascinating to see how each one employs scripture, how each one engaged, and what was beautiful about that. uh, I have this notion of of making expansive the title of theologian. And typically when people say theologian, they mean people who have PhDs like yourself. (laughs) And and, I love that. I love, you know, it takes rigor. It takes work to do that. But by having that definition one, it's not generous to history because I guess then yeah. the disciples weren't theologians. So like how, you know, how, yeah, how, how are we doing this? It's just very American mm-hmm. white privilege to think of theologian in, um, in the strictest sense of people who have gotten this certain terminal degree mm-hmm. and have the time to be a professional uh, theologian <laughs> and no, by you lifting up their stories and where they came from, I think people can see why it's problematic to have that definition. I think those women were uh, immersed in scripture in a way that they're like, no, I have to interpret things you know foot talks about interpreting and speaking mostly to her own race right she's like i don't know about y'all out there i am (laughs) i am committed to you know she you lift up this uh, idea she had about wanting people of her own rest race to enter into rest and um possibly looking at that hebrews for uh definition of rest for the people of god and I love that. Like these people weren't getting professional Bible degrees, but they were, they were astute uh, theologians. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and really, if, if we call ourselves followers of Christ, we should all be study you know, theologians. Um, and, and they live that out to a greater degree than so many of us in terms of their creativity, in terms of if you think of the Wesleyan quadrilateral for better or worse Mm -hmm. of of, of tradition, reason, experience, Mm -hmm. um, a Bible (laughs) scripture, like they're using all of that 
And mm-hmm. what if what happens when we look at that? And then, but then, but then, they not only use those four tenets, they uh, they rely upon the Holy Spirit and see the Spirit as inspiring their interpretations of Scripture. Uh, and I love all all three of them have a robust view of the Holy Spirit, even if the Holy Spirit is not mentioned explicitly. So, in the case of Sojourner Truth, uh, she doesn't talk about the Holy Spirit much, and yet the way she lives her life testifies to the Spirit within her. And I love this part about truth, and just her story in general is so inspiring to me, Um, that she is uh, encountering these visions and dreams. There's this, you know, supernatural element that seems like normal to her, right? You know, like she can be, and I love that part of our lineage together, right? Um, mm-hmm. As the people of God, right? Like there's this notion where she's like, yeah, this is what would be happening. And I love I love that because that doesn't make her less a theologian. It doesn't make her less um, smart or, you know, mm-hmm. but she is having these things. In, and for me as a black person reading that, I think a lot of Black people could really um, do themselves well by looking into Sojourner Truth because um, there's a lot of curiosity among in my community communities around African spiritualities and cosmologies and how did people of the diaspora um, practice Christianity? Does it look like, you know, only you know in these church spaces but i love sojourner truth's um thoughts and life to that end yeah yeah and and i think it's really helpful again margaret washington calls her an african dutch Mm. mystic because Mm. her mother is from africa and and Mm. what does that mean for truth that she thinks about god and um and then you have the visions of foot and Elah. Mm-hmm. So, and, and some of them seem beyond the realm of modernity today, white, yeah, logical modernity. And yet we are missing out on so much because we have, and I, we, I'm meaning white people mm-hmm. uh, are missing out when we deny that the spirit can work and dreams and visions. Mm-hmm. I am missing out as a white person if I deny that. Now, I am I that doesn't mean I should adopt African cosmologies like that's not appropriate or right. <laughs> yeah. Um and yet what would it mean? I mean, I've had dreams where God has spoken to me. Like mm-hmm. I yes. can name a couple concretely. Mm. And um why are we why do we deny that Mm, yeah and I I think weaving in that supernatural dimension with experience with um you lift this up in the book uh especially I think it's with foot um but like the ability for blackness to help um in the interpretation of scripture and in its application and so 
I love that because too often when we say things like orthodoxy uh, here, that usually means white male orthodoxy yes. <laughs> experiences. And people are like, no, let's stick to the gospel. And I'm like, oh, so you mean like white male centered mm -hmm. cishet men. Yeah. Um, and I love thinking through like, how does blackness and how do, I mean, all uh, mm -hmm. people come to Christianity, how does that inform the way that we read, interpret, and um, live things out? But that thing is beautiful because I wrote this piece once called like, uh, is my blackness a liability? I and, you know, in the thought of like, is it a liability when I come mm -hmm. to the scripture with my blackness fully in the interpretation lane, right? Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. is it a liability to me? And no, like, is your womanhood uh, a liability? No, it, it doesn't have to be, right? And so mm -hmm. I love thinking about how their Blackness shaped everything and was subversive in uh, their work, you know? Yeah, and I mean, Sojourner Truth kind of points that out directly, right? Just when she talks about goring in her color. Mm. And um, I... I think that's beautiful and yeah. I, and subversive and, uh, um, and, and reflects the fullness of the Imago Dei-ness or mm -hmm. Imago Trinitati-ness mm -hmm. yeah. in, in, in her. Mm. I love that. Um, last two questions in my mind. Um, one, what was your favorite chapter to write? And then what was your hardest as of like, well, the hardest was the introduction. I think I had like three versions of it and I wrote really? it. Yes. So I write the first, first draft to my editor. She's like, nope, you need to set the stage a little bit better. And next chat, next version. Nope. And then she's like, just write it last. So <laughs> you're like, cool. <laughs> that was being your tail, huh? <laughs> just oh, the intro. Wow. I mean, and that was the same with the dissertation it was like my last chapter the intro and the conclusion um so uh and, and it's it's different writing a dissertation writing is very different than writing with an editor with a publisher in mind of uh, so um both have their strengths and um i am grateful that i didn't do this alone <laughs> uh but the Probably, I, you know, you're asking me to like pick a favorite person. And I don't it doesn't like, have to be a favorite person. So you love them all. But like for you, when you were writing, which one were you like? Hmm. Oh, well, what was exciting was that like at the second round of edits or first round of edits, I don't second round, um, Blockett had just come out with her edited volume of Elah's Travels. And so, and I had already written on Elah for the liturgy journal, mm. um, looking at her in conversation um, with uh, um, the foolishness of God. And I, I'm still obsessed with the foolishness of God that Paul outlines in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2. And I know Paul is a drag at times, and he should be like critiqued for being a drag, like, and a jerk. And also, like, he writes very beautifully about this, and Eli picks up on it in ways that are subversive and cool. And, like, 
like, so I like to claim I'm weird. And like, I feel like Elah does that with the foolishness of God and showing that she's favored in particular. And so that was fun. And then for foot, at least, so I was rereading it again before I sent one of the drafts in. And there were some things that I had discovered or like realized for the first time that I could write about foot. So for instance, like when she goes to that conference and there's only men and the women want to preach, but they're not going to let her. So she's like, you know, well, I'm just going to do my own thing. And so she like rents out this hall and has women preach. And then the men come and like tease them. And she's like, whatever. But like, like there's just these little stories and little moments in their lives that we kind of skip over or I, well, I've skipped over because I read them. And then, and then at some point it's like, wow, they are doing such cool stuff. Mm -hmm. And why aren't we learning? Like, why haven't we gotten the memo? What are any nuggets that are, you know, that's, resounding with you from any one of the 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 women that you write about and how would you hope that your book can impact people Mm. well the nugget part and (laughs) I mean there's so many from them right Mm -hmm. like um but I think what I if I wanted people to learn um I I just want people to read them Mm. Um, and they're all online for free like I I you can download like a pdf you know like in google books Mm. and um so that's in terms of nuggets like they say it better than I can so let's just turn let's just turn to the sources, I'll give you a list of, you know, notes where you can access those, those documents for free. Mm. Um, and how the book I want, how I want, um, I hope the book can be helpful for people. Um, I hope that for white people like me, that we know that this is a part of church history, Mm. that we learn a different way of doing theology, that we repent of the ways in which we have perpetuated white supremacy and have submerged those stories in favor of a successful middle-class church. Mm. That, that is, you know, that's, that's one thing. Um, And then for people of color for black people in the United States. Um, I hope, I, I, well, I was thinking about like audiences for my book and um, I think uh, for white people in majority white spaces, uh, I will talk about the book differently, um, but I was also thinking about black students who may be in a white seminary space or yeah. a <laughs> or a yeah. Bible space. And I'm I'm you may have experienced that where yeah. you look at your syllabus 
and theology <laughs> yeah. or, or church history. Sure. And they may have a token article. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to try to, to make the mar to, to center their stories. Mm. Black Coffee and Theology Pod is a production of Three Black Men, the podcast about theology, culture, and the world around us. Follow us on Twitter at Three Black Men. If you like the content that you are receiving here and want to receive more, whether that is in longer conversations, essays, devotions, and videos from either myself, Sam, or Trey, please sign up for for our Patreon at patreon.com slash three black men. Don't forget to like, rate, and review Black Coffee and Theology Pod as well as Three Black Men.